0: Thomas, welcome to the podcast. How about we start with a quick intro on yourself, your current roles, and your career track? Matt, how about you? I graduated law school in 2011. I'm
1: originally from Kansas City. Went to undergrad in Arizona, and then went to law school at Stanford. Went to work at Latham doing antitrust litigation. Really enjoyed doing that, but I'd always wanted to clerk. Had an opportunity to do that in the Northern District here in San Francisco, and did that for a year, and then a friend of mine started this company and this happened to be about self-driving cars and said, hey, like I'm getting, I've got all these questions about the law and my investors are asking me how I'm going to be able to actually operate this business. And I don't really know how to answer those and I don't really want to think about them. So can you come do that? So I said, yes, ended up becoming the first lawyer at Cruise and, and grew with Cruise, had a great time doing that. And then about a year ago now, Went and joined to lead the legal team at Forward. So that's what I've been doing for the last year, and yeah, that's my story.
0: Cool. And we'll get into what uh, the experience was like at both of those companies. Thomas, how about you?
2: Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in South Carolina, and also graduated law school in 2011. Actually, the same same law school as, as Matt did, which is how we know each other. And after graduating from Stanford, went on and I clerked for federal judges back in South Carolina and Atlanta, and then abroad in South Africa. And so I actually kind of focused my practice more on international stuff. I practiced at Freshfields in their D.C. office doing investigations work, kind of DOJ facing investigations work for a few years and was looking to go into government in late 2016. And Matt, at the same time, happened to give me a call and said, hey, like I know you were kind of poking around would you want to come join me out back out here in San Francisco to help build this company cruise? So that was in early, that was late 2016, early 2017. And so I, I became the second lawyer at cruise practice there with Matt, built the team. And, you know, he had such great things to say about forward that about six months after he joined, I thought it would be a good idea to join with him.
0: That's awesome. And part of the appeal with having both of you guys on the podcast was that you guys are pals and you guys have been working together at two different companies. One of the cool parts about Cruise was just how fast you guys grew, the level of investment, you know, selling within four years It's such a big exit, and also just the overall mission. It's, it's obviously really inspiring. And I think the cool part with you two is that you guys didn't seem like you guys were all in on tech, you know, early on in law school or even after graduating and you guys just stumbled upon this rocket ship uh, that was going like crazy. So, Matt, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, I mean, it was wild. Like, it, just to put it briefly,
1: it was a period of rapid learning, basically consistently and perpetually. It's especially so at the beginning, like I remember, yeah, you, you highlighted it very kindly of wasn't really all in on tech. Like I was doing large scale antitrust litigation right. and you know, I don't, I studied finance. I don't know anything about software. I use tech. Sure. But you go into a company like this and you have to really quickly start to learn the lingo and hear about what matters to people. And at least in my experience, engineering, is like engineering is the function in a company that is the company. So you have to really learn how engineers think and talk and what they care about, what motivates them, et cetera. Yeah, it's just, I I remember very early, someone came and was like, hey, what license can I use for this? Am I allowed to use this piece of open source? And they're like, we want to use the GPL. None of those words made any sense to me. Like I knew the word license in the context of like Ticketmaster seat licensing, right? But obviously that wasn't what they were asking about. And you just kind of learn to nod your head and try to try to glean as much as you can from the context and then
0: go quickly Google and get smart. <laughs> Thomas, what about you? How was it like for you?
2: I remember joining in January of 2017 at Cruise and coming from this, you know, Freshfield is a UK based law firm. I was in their DC office, coming from a kind of buttoned up law firm environment and figuring out even on the first day, what, what do you wear as a startup attorney? So I I went with, you know, a green hoodie, but also the startup attorney uniform of a button down and jeans to try to look informal. And I remember my first day, the office was this converted fabric warehouse, you know, instead of a glossy glass and steel office building and sitting at these long cafeteria lunch tables with this engineer who, because it was just chilly, in January in in San Francisco, he was wearing a full like Dr. Seuss thing to costume. So I was like trying to look like informal and approachable as a lawyer. It's my first day. And there's this guy wearing a Dr. Seuss costume sits down next to me for lunch. And then he proceeds to give me kind of 30 minutes of detailed explanation of like some of our sensor technology at the company, just trying to teach me what he does. And same thing. My retention on that was probably below 20% at the time. But I remember just sitting there thinking like, I am in a different world than (laughs) than I have been in. And this is going to be a different kind of legal practice. How
0: do you guys think about your function in terms of facilitating rapid growth? What's a lawyer's role in that process from the perspective of a high growth startup that's growing like crazy with a really big legal team or from a sole GC that's trying to run the show by themselves. Yeah, I think Thomas probably will
1: articulate it better than me. But in in a startup like that, and especially in the ones we've worked in that are pretty highly regulated, your role is actually like your role is to help make things happen. Like people are coming to you and they say like, we don't know how to do this, you know, like there's some rules we know we need to do to kind of get out the gate. Can you help me find those rules? I don't even know what they are. What would apply to me? How do I do it? And so it's, you know, some people may view that as a matter, it's just like a matter of framing or perception. But, you know, I, I like to think of it that way that I've looked around like holistically of, of how the, what the company is trying to do and I'm trying to help you make this happen. Like You may be an engineer or an ops person or in finance, but you've all got stuff that you're asking me, and I'm helping you, you get your stuff done. What do you say,
2: Thomas? Yeah, I think that's broadly right. I, I think you know that story I told about the lunch, lunchtime lecture on LIDAR technology, I think some of it is, is just that, realizing that the risk, and lawyers are taught to talk in terms of risk and things, for, for companies that are small and trying to grow and especially in these highly regulated areas, there are risks all over the place, but there's also risk in, in not, not doing things, not stepping forward. Right. Uh, especially uh, if you're sort of pre-acquisition or, or, or only have a limited runway in terms of funding there, that's a different form of risk, the opportunity cost or whatever you call it of, of not advancing your business. And so, that's uh, a different frame to, to approach problems. I think Matt kind of captured it.
0: At those earlier stages of Cruise, and now you guys are, are at Forward, building your legal department up from uh, the ground up, how do you guys deal with wearing multiple hats? There's a lot of people that are listening to the podcast that are a one-person legal team. They have to manage employment, privacy, contracts advising the C-suite, and this might be their first, you know, in-house job. How did you guys navigate that, especially if you don't have the luxury of just hiring as much as you want? Matt, how about you go?
1: Sure. Yeah, and I've been there. Like, until I got Thomas, you know, I was running around. Like The true story behind all this is Thomas actually does all the things, and I just just make sure he's there.
2: (laughs) You hired me to do the running around, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: But... Yeah, I, I think so on the, the sort of headcount, who's doing what point, I've learned to frame it in terms of trade-offs. Like there were points where I was able to hire people in the legal team and points where I couldn't. And on those latter periods of time, the way I would frame it is like, look, here we know, or I've helped identify like where risks are and the things we could do. And that can be done by lawyers, but often in a startup, it, most of the work that I am doing as a lawyer, like most of it could be done by somebody else. Like you can interact with outside counsel. I, of course, as the head of legal, I don't love that, but if I'm resource constrained, I can offshore that to you. For example, leases are a great place where if you've got somebody who is figuring out an office, they can talk to outside counsel and work with them. The outside counsel can negotiate and it takes 5% of your time to review that work, than, than actually do it all yourself. So that, that applies in lots of different areas and maybe a precursor step is we tried to focus on building stuff that teams could use self-serve. So like, how can I, I hate to use this in like phrase, but how can, how can we teach people how to fish? And so those are two big things like giving people resources to go on their own. And then also framing to, to your business leaders and your CEO, mm-hmm. like this is just a matter of, of how you want it done. And we found often the framework that or the the process that worked is, hey, for the first time, legal will go through this with you. Like if you're in Cruz's case, like applying for a permit in a new state for a self-driving car, like legal will either do it or walk through it with you the whole time. But when you want to do that 500 times, we're going to say, that doesn't make sense to pay lawyers to do that. Let's figure out a way that other folks can do it.
0: Thomas, what about you?
2: Yeah, Matt and I, you know, because we're friends, I think some of some of what you'll catch is that we think about these things in similar ways, which is good to a point. Uh, maybe we can talk about that too in, in the context of hiring. But before we get there, I just want to say like one thing that that I've often sort of thought about as we approach the, the role and really admired in terms of how Matt does it is knowing sort of what the, the organization or what the company is ready for when. So even if you have some idea of what a super mature legal department would look like or a super mature company looks like across the, the range of things that you could be doing, knowing when is the right time based on the company's capabilities and priorities and personnel to start doing something that you know you need to do at some point. And, and, and that's just you know kind of priority setting type thing, but can be really important it, it, to go from planning, not just based on sort of emergencies or, or even just triage, but instead figuring out, is this the optimal time to, to put in place this process? Because now my stakeholders, my leaders of the business will respond to the ask to do this now because some other reason, right? And so that's an element of a kind of reading the audience a little bit too, for when you when you want to start doing things that you've kind of always known need to be done at some point.
0: Got it. So when I was doing my research, I saw you guys won an award for being the most innovative emerging company legal department. And I know you guys had a lot of people on the team within your legal department. What advice do you guys have for hiring? And and how do you also think about the culture and tone um, that you're looking to set for new lawyers that are joining your, your company? So I've been starting and saying all the
1: First things that you were probably wanting to say, and that I probably stole from you. So maybe you know you you start with this one.
2: <laughs> sure. So I I think you know we've kind of taken it as an assumption a little bit that the audience, when we're talking about Cruise in particular, know knows sort of the challenge where we were dealing with, and and I just want to recap it. So so when I when I joined Cruz, I was the second attorney. We also had a paralegal, and then three and a half years later, by the time Matt and then then I left the company was like 1900 people and the team was 20 plus. And and so, you know, that's really substantial and and rapid growth. And so in terms of what we were looking for, there's, there, there are obviously interpersonal things in culture that maybe Matt will address. But the two that I would always say when we were hiring, and if somebody asked me like in an interview, were comfort with change, because I can't tell you how many times Matt and I sat and like Whiteboarded what is the structure of the team, who's reporting to whom, and how how it's going to change over you know month on month. right um, So comfort with change because not only for those sort of team structure things, but also the business goals are constantly changing based on regulatory environment or pace of te- technical progress and so forth. In addition to that, just intellectual curiosity. We always found, or at least I always thought that that we were more successful when we hired people that were nerds about something, right? Like your paralegal who is really into space law or something like that and gets really deep into it. That's a good sign because I think in terms of a culture for a legal team, what you want is that people who, when somebody comes to them and asks them a question, they don't just respond to that narrow question, but they instead follow up with a, why do you ask? Tell me more about this. And then your team, develops more knowledge of what's going on in the business, develops the relationships so that people keep coming back to them. And it's that it starts with that sort of spark of nerdiness or curiosity that can end up really informing the role of legal within the larger board.
0: Matt, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I'll see if I've got
2: anything from
1: different, just different aspects of this. I mean, part of this is like when to hire, you know, we didn't, didn't really touch on that. Mm-hmm. And Thomas, you actually said this yesterday. So so Ford is hiring an employment lawyer. To all you employment lawyers out there, listen to us wonderful folks. You can come work with us. And so, Thomas, I think you said, you're like, we as a legal team, we need to be really hurting before we do that. I think that's a little bit far on the spectrum, but I, I do agree. You have to be able to make a solid case because, well, specifically for lawyers, like lawyers aren't cheap you have to make the case for a lawyer and and assuming you're in a place where like people get what the legal function is about. That's what I'm saying. What I said earlier, like making things happen that makes it a little bit easier for you, Mm -hmm. but you have to consistently fight that. So the people you hire need to embody that pretty quickly. Like I'm here to help you make things happen. Anyway, I'm bouncing a little bit all over from like when to hire to what the person should act like when they get there. Mm -hmm. And it is a big change for a lot of people to think just as outside counsel, like you're a knowledge provider. People come to you for information about a thing, but you don't have to carry it through all the way. You don't have to make it happen, so to speak. So trying to search for that on the front end of who you're hiring. And then when the person gets there, like show that, demonstrate it, and like kind of just continually reiterate what our objectives are, which is to get the business to their objectives. So yeah, those are some additional things.
2: And I'll just I'll just piggyback on that. There Matt broke it into sort of when to hire and then, you know, the kind of person to select for, what to tell them in terms of how to act once they're in the company. And two two things that struck me about that, one was like it's worth being very selective in hiring and not to just feel the pain of man, we, we We need a person, (laughs) but to to tolerate that pain, sometimes for a really long time to find the right person. Because when you're a team of two or three, the downside cost of of hiring a person who's not the right fit for your team is really significant, right? And and so there's that. And then the other piece, and we spent a lot of time on this, both at Forward and at Cruise, is investing in orienting. So onboarding your own team teammates and then onboarding everyone else in the company who's going to be interacting with your team, spending a lot of time on our sort of onboarding presentations and stuff like that. That's like free money because you you make that presentation or whatever really sharp and then you can use it. And in the case of Cruz, you know, educate a thousand people over two years who are going to have a better sense of, of how to approach legal and what of what you do.
0: Those are some great points on hiring.
2: So one of the the
0: questions that came in, you know, we actually fielded some questions from some of our close G C friends prior to doing this. And one of the questions that came up is, you know, how do you handle really complex regulatory issues when being in a new industry that you really don't have experience for? And I think you guys are perfect to answer that. Matt, how do you think about that from being at Cruise and and self-driving and now to being in the medical space with forward?
1: Sure. So I think to harken back to Thomas's comment of like this intellectual curiosity, this is the stuff that gets me excited. So I am a nerd about the law. And when I jumped into forward and into Cruz, it was like, okay, let's pretend to be law students again and create the class for ourselves. Like what is car law? Right. Uh, what is health law? And I, I should be clear, I did, like, I did not become an expert in car law or, and I'm not remotely there in terms of health law, but I think you've got to do as much reading as possible and other things. So reading, talking to people in the space, going to conferences, and then just like seeing where you have gaps, like thinking about the buzzwords where you start to see things come up, go look them up and learn more about them. It's, it's, (laughs) it's, I'm trying to think of like other strategies I have employed. This is this is just to like get yourself to to base camp where you right. feel like okay, now I can actually talk to my quote unquote client about this thing. And it's interesting because sometimes you come you join a company and there's people who do know the law pretty well in their space and that I think is helpful to a point but you have to be careful like those people, sometimes people take things as like a given or as factor, like this is what the law is. And you you have to come to that opinion yourself. And, you know, honestly, you have to lean on outside counsel to the extent you have budget for it. Like, it's a bit of a trade. Like, I've had these conversations with my CEOs, like, look, you hired me, because you think I'm great, but I'm gonna spend money getting smart on these issues. And you, you want me to do that, because then I can advise you. So I don't know. That's that's a few thoughts on it.
0: Yeah. And it's good you mentioned that as well, you know, because I think a lot of people probably rule themselves out of roles that they should be in or are really genuinely interested in, but might not pursue it just because they might not, you know, be ready to deal with all the red tape around certain nuances. Thomas, what do you think about dealing with regulators? What's your approach? Sure.
2: Yeah. So I, I think what I'd say on that is sometimes we talk about going to first principles on questions, you know, like what is the, the underlying thing that a regulator would be worried about. So in the self-driving space, public safety, obviously a really big one in the healthcare space, patient safety is really kind of central to the core mission of the regulators that we'd be working with and, and keeping that as your sort of North star is, is helpful. Sometimes we, we try to reason by analogy to help us get our head around new questions we haven't approached before. And so in addition to that sort of nerdiness piece, the curiosity piece, sometimes like coming into an in-house role with a breadth of experience can, can really be helpful if you're trying to think by analogy. And I don't want to overstate the value of that because that can lead to blind spots, but that can be helpful. So, I mean, there have been times when we're talking about one issue in healthcare. And it's like, oh yeah, this is kind of like what we saw at Cruz, or this is kind of like what I saw when I lived in South Africa or whatever it is, or when we were clerking. And so that breadth of experience can be a valuable resource to think back to. And in terms of like how, how to approach regulators, I've seen different philosophies around this. And, and to some extent, I think it, it, it can evolve as a, as a company grows. But the approach I've taken is the one that if I were a regulator, I would want taken with me, which is, you know, we at a company like Forward, we believe we have a service and are developing something that's going to be really powerful and valuable to people. And we're not afraid of that or ashamed of that or trying to hide anything. We're trying, you know, if we're speaking with regulators, we're trying to do our level best to to do what they want and to meet that sort of core regulatory goal of helping patients stay safe and stay healthy. And so the the default I usually use is, you know, obviously honesty is non-negotiable, but then beyond that, just being very clear and very direct, like here is what we are and here is what we're doing and and not to try to play games or omit things and, and stuff like that. Because I think in the vast majority of cases, the regulators are just taking the approach that they're trying to understand what you're up to. I think what what we've seen in both contexts is that because what we're, what our companies are trying to accomplish is, is so new, regulators are to some extent, the one, they're very interested. And two, they don't necessarily come with preconceptions about how they think about us, of what we are. And so they are seeking education from us too. And so that like approaching them with that sort of let me let me tell you sort of who we are and what we do can actually be really valuable and facilitating <laughs> in the long run. So I, that's sort of how how I think about it. Other, others would take I think a slightly uh, different view and just try to say as little as possible. But that's the approach I've seen work both in the DOJ previous life and, and at these at these companies.
0: One of the you know next things I want to touch on is from what I understand you guys joined forward earlier this year or you know, towards the end of last year, correct me if I'm wrong, and then you know, literally three or four months later, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's now November 19th. We're still in the thick of things we were talking earlier and you know, probably are going to be in lockdown you know, in just another week or two, who knows. So what's the pandemic been like for you guys, I guess, both on an individual level, along with having Forward really address some of these challenges that have come up during the pandemic? Matt, you wanna start?
1: Yeah, I do. This, this will also bring into more relief the Matt doesn't do anything point. Like, so the pandemic has <laughs> been, I
0: very quickly hired two lawyers. I,
1: I promised I was, I was doing stuff before then, but anyway, yeah, I mean the pandemic, like who, who could have known? I guess many people knew and they pointed it out, and but I did not anticipate it. I worked at this healthcare company and then it, it just starts going wild. And yeah, we, we've been scrambling. It's both from like a traditional, you know, any company has to figure out what they're doing with their employees and where they're working and things like that and how they're communicating and how they're keeping culture. So that I, I don't think has been distinct for us. It's it's been a challenge. It's been fun. There's a lot of learnings. but with Forward as a business, it's been just it's been super inspiring. When this started ramping in the U.S., so we're talking like late February, early March. There was this environment at the company of like, this is our time to step up and provide care. Like this is when we are most needed and forward kept its doors open throughout the pandemic. We haven't closed. We built this entire new product. The company is is technology forward and we have visions of having remote visits and improving our telemedicine offerings that we thought just frankly, that like the world wasn't ready for yet. And COVID made that possible. And people just stepped up. I mean, it was unbelievable in the span of a month of things that got built and what services to really provide to our members. And to, to be specific, what I'm talking about is we, like in three days, built this COVID assessment tool. I think we we're one of the first people that online you could go and you could say, you know, I have a fever and I have a sore throat. What does this mean? How high is my risk? And it's for all of us now, it feels like, oh, well, you kind of know not to freak out or you know what to do. but recall in march like it was scary and this this was pretty cool to offer for free for anybody and to kind of give them a sense of risk and and some ideas of what was available out there of what to do and then we took that a step further we were one of the first companies to get tests and we we set up drive through tests you know we we're just as a lawyer it was pretty exciting to be again making things happen like okay how are we going to get this you know, amendment to our lease to allow us to spot in the driveway? Who can do this test? Where do we need to store it? How are we protecting privacy? All that stuff. So it has been intense and fun, inspiring. And
0: I don't like working from home. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, how's it been for you?
2: Yeah, so I, I joined Forward in June. So I joined a company that was already, you know, working remote and we're both based in San Francisco. And, and and so it was an onboarding experience that was great, but that I hope never to have to do again. What it was was many dozens of of Zoom meetings to meet people, not even to to at that point really start getting to work, but just getting to know people. And the company invested a lot of time in that. And I, I think probably any company that's interested in the success of the people that it wants to join right now is probably been doing the, the same. And, and so, you know, we're six months in now, I'm going through a second round of those sort of zoom calls reinvesting in the relationships. And that's, that's another aspect of, of what I've seen that I think has been really cool at the company. So Matt talked about the sort of external facing stuff and the rallying around the mission of, of our company. And I would just add to that, that it also takes just a lot of investment probably for any company agnostic of industry to try to try to keep that team cohesion for what's now been nine months or something.
0: Where do you guys see this going into 2021? You guys have a unique view on this because you guys are working for a company that's trying to you know, play a big part in helping people during the pandemic. So how do you guys really see this all playing out? let's assume that the administration
1: changes over so that i think that that does matter a lot into how this plays out but setting that aside you've got vaccines that are that are looking good like just this week we saw in the last 10 days let's say we've seen two vaccines show above 90% effectiveness rate which is awesome and really exciting so i think how that you know there's a Crazy logistical challenge of getting those out and getting people vaccinated properly. Sometimes in a series of two doses, that's going to be a big deal. But people are going to start getting vaccinated and hopefully developing immunity. And hopefully more people are, are joining in the wearing of masks. You know, the lifestyle of wearing masks. I think you know the winter maybe I'm just like drawing off of, of stuff that I've I've seen other public health officials say like it's going to be a tough winter people have to keep the discipline and I don't know what's going to happen with covid there but to like step out of just purely covid like what are what is happening in medicine we saw telemedicine really spike everybody like everybody in April was happy to have a visit over zoom with their doctor and then it 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 fell off pretty precipitously After that, people are still more inclined to see their care providers in person. But I think there's a lot more investment going into this space. Like People saw users, patients saw the potential of it, and and we identified a lot of gaps, things that could be fixed. And companies and investors saw that, look, we can fix these gaps, and actually this is a great way to deliver care, can be. So I think we're going to see a lot of growth there. And, and again, on the people side, like people potentially being more in tune with and, and being more inclined to take charge of their health, it's hard to say if there will be permanent cultural change, you know, like right. after prior epidemics, mask wearing became more common or, and, and people would wear them if they were sick, regardless of there being an epidemic. I, I think it is likely there will be some long-term cultural changes. So at, at least in regards to being more accepting of health technology, if i can say something as narrow
0: as that i'm happy to say right Thomas, <laughs> anything you want to add it
2: yeah i mean i think i'll just add two points so matt talked about telemedicine obviously 2020 was a banner year for people in telemedicine but we've since seen a real retreat from that right i think people did it when they felt that they had to do it and then as soon as they could go back to their normal patterns on that we returned back to earth but i think what i'm excited about is the idea of sort of what we're trying to build is, and we're trying to grow really fast here is, is instead of having it be an either or a substitute between telehealth, you see a doctor through a screen or you go into a clinic, we're trying to build this, this cool thing that kind of combines those depending on, you know, what patients need at any given time, maybe for one thing, they want to do telehealth and for something else, they want to be in person. And it's all sort of wrapped into a single offering that is just healthcare at when you want it, how you want it. And and so I'm excited about that for us. And I think that's maybe sort of culturally where we land as it comes to telemedicine in the in the medium term. And then the other thing is like related on the FDA front, you've seen a lot of emergency use authorizations on a whole bunch of different things, right? Testing right. and so forth. And there's just been all this public pressure to get things out, get vaccines out, get tests out, and, and it'll be interesting to see, especially since the you know the messaging from the president has been, wow, this used to take two years and now we're doing it in weeks. It'll be interesting to see how that changes, in particular the federal government's approach to some of these questions. Like, will they re-examine some of the existing processes and say, wow, that was taking much longer. Than it needed to sometimes. And like we talked about with startups, there's opportunity cost in, in not acting. And, and so that'll be sort of a theme to watch, I think, in 2021 and throughout what we assume is a Biden administration.
0: Right. Those are some great points. And one more question that I have for both of you guys is, what's your take on what's going on in cities like San Francisco? What's your outlook on what's going on in the cities? Is this a temporary... Lapse, or or do you foresee a city like San Francisco getting back to normal at some point?
1: As a homeowner in San Francisco, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my chips in favor of it going back to normal. <laughs> I hear uh, I'm I'm just biased. I can't. So someone I someone who used to work with at Cruise actually I was speaking with them the other day, and they said, "Look, like we think people are able to maintain kind of some cultural interaction being remote, but at the two-year level, the people who have come in, they never had those initial, they weren't able to build up the bank account, so to speak, of in-person kind of working together reactions or interactions. And at the two-year level, the the ratio of those people in your company is, depending on where you work, like pretty high. That is just a different type of company. And most companies didn't start with the intention or the processes or the structure in place to be such a type of company. So I th- a long way of saying I think you know people saw productivity actually go up in some cases when everyone went remote, but I think that's sh- gonna be short-lived and companies are gonna want to get back together, have offices again. So and, and San Francisco and, and Silicon Valley will will remain a place that people want to live and work.
0: But again, a little bit of this is is hopeful thinking because I am here. I'm in the same boat as you. I think it's really hard to bet against you know, all the entrepreneurs there, the, the culture, the pulse, you know, that a place like San Francisco gives Thomas, what do you think? Anything, uh, any closing words you want to add?
2: Yeah. Well, as a renter in San Francisco, um, (laughs) I I will take the contrary view. No, I, I think there, there is real magic in face-to-face interactions and that's true if you're practicing health or you're building a company. I don't think personally that that magic today or in the coming years will, will, will be unique to the Bay Area. So, I mean, I think my, my read on those trends is that, that you will see a sort of rise of the rest in places like Columbus, Ohio, or Nashville, Tennessee, Bozeman, Montana, places that have educated populations where some folks that work at your big tech companies like Google and Twitter have gone to work remote this year and have stayed I think you'll see organic communities grow up there and persist. So there won't be that sort of monopoly on, on entrepreneurship that just it was truly unique in the Bay area over the last few decades. Right.
1: One note before we, before we go, this is something like there's this middle ground of fully remote. Like it works fairly well. You know, we've, we've managed to figure that out and fully in person, but a world where everybody comes in like, once or everybody doesn't come in once or twice a week, I think is a, like a disaster. And that's, you know, in my head, I'm like, yeah, that would be kind of cool. I, I prefer to work in the office, but it would be nice, you know, once a week, sort of at my choice, I would work from home. That sounds amazing to me as an individual. For a company and, you know, working with a group of people and managing a team, that sounds terrible. So that's going to be really interesting for the world to cross that bridge when we get to it, which we're hopefully
0: getting closer to every day. Well, why do you think it's uh terrible? Just to piggyback on that.
1: Yeah, I like the rarely have I seen lar- like half in person, half virtual meetings be successful. Mm-hmm. The people who are on the screen, it's just more difficult. And so we've the like i actually just saw this on google hangouts the other day they have like a raise hand feature now mm-hmm. and when everybody is on a screen you kind of all acknowledge that but when you're in the room whether it be av technology or just the feeling and you're all working out together and then there's one or two people who are on a screen they just don't have the same ability to influence and be part of it so i think like at scale things
0: just get weird you lose the ability to be as effective so that's right. that's my theory. Cool. Well, guys, this has been awesome. I really appreciate both of you guys coming on. It'd be great if you guys could plug Forward and quickly just go into how people could get in touch with you guys if they want to uh, connect after they hear this. So Forward is,
1: we're a healthcare company. We offer both telemedicine and the, the core thing we have is technology paired with doctors. So we, we're trying to make doctors superhuman, give them skills and have a relationship with the member, with our members that is kind of continuous. So we want you to be able to interact with your doctor and be able to monitor your own health with the support of doctor, of your doctor and our tech. And so it's like an all-encompassing membership where you can go see your doctor, you can open up your app and see aspects of your health. You can you can get your prescriptions on your phone. And yeah, we think it's a good experience and a great way for people to to be more cognizant and in control of their health. So that's Forward. Thomas, what else, what am I missing there?
2: I'll just say go to goforward.com. Look at what the company is and look at the jobs we have posted, including our employment lawyer post. The company is growing, looking for lawyers and other roles, and it's a pretty cool place to work.
0: Cool, and we'll definitely uh, make sure to plug all those into the show notes. And I could say for one too, I've used Forward. I know my co-founder uses it. And it's definitely a game changer in the healthcare space compared to like what you would do without forward. So last thing, where could anyone find you if they want to connect? You can find me at Gipple at goforward.com
1: and of course on LinkedIn. And I think we should also flip the, flip the table here and say like, you know, what's the plug for law trades? Law trades has helped us out before we use them at cruise. And from what I understand, well, maybe I can't say this, so you can cut it out if I can't, but <laughs> I'm still using them today. It was pretty helpful. Thomas, do you have anything to add on that?
2: Yeah. So I'm T Scott at goforward.com, also on LinkedIn. But we use law trades to fill a really key gap that we had in, in getting ready for the California Consumer Privacy Act. And they, they brought some really good people to us and were super responsive and flexible. And they, they helped us with exactly what we needed, which is why we're still talking to them today.
0: That is awesome, guys. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it.